Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Property. I'm Peter Switzer. This program goes out on Thursday nights on our very own YouTube channel. Just go to Switzer Financial Group, YouTube, and make sure you become a subscriber and press the like button as well. On tonight's show, we can't avoid the coronavirus. And so we're starting off with Charles Tarby, who uh, is the founder of Century 21. I wanted to know whether he thought the coronavirus could affect house prices, which are and have been on the rise. Then we'll talk to uh, Tom Panos. Now Tom is like the ambassador of REA. He's an auctioneer and that's the part I wanted to talk to Tom about. Being an auctioneer, basically at the coalface, what is he seeing when it comes to the house price market right now? And is he seeing any coronavirus impacts on the market? And then finally, we have the princess of property, Margaret Lomas from destiny.com.au. Now, Margaret, I think, is one of the smartest Australians when it comes to real estate. And I got her to look at the eight reasons why she's not keen about buying off the plan. Very insightful and really good advice. So without any further ado, let's go start with Charles Tarby from Century 21 and find out how house prices and the housing market might be affected by that damn coronavirus. Well, as always, we try to track what's going on in the all-important real estate market. And of course, when we do, we talk to Charles Tarby, the founder of Century 21. Charles, I want to get an idea of how the market might be affected by the coronavirus. Mm. Now, and later on, I'll speculate, given what's happened in the stock market recently, yeah. what's the history of you know, scary stock market moves and real estate mm. buyers. Let's ignore most of the country, because Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth were on a, a long weekend. So Sydney was a normal weekend. What was the enthusiasm for buying like? It was still there. It was definitely still there mm. in Sydney. Lots of people had opened for inspections again. Uh, so it, it is impacting. What's happening around, around the world is impacting here. Uh, but 83% clearance rate is really nothing mm. to, uh, to argue on. Oh, sneeze or argue. I, mean, I, didn't want to, I was about to use the word sneeze, but I thought I'd argue about it. By the way, I love your view you have here. I didn't know your office was so salubrious. Anyway. It's better as Andre decides to make it. Okay, good. We'll we probably change it now. Uh, so there's still a lot of activity around the countryside everywhere I go. I've just been to uh, Brisbane. Uh, I've been to Perth, been to Adelaide, off to Melbourne this weekend for, for various events and awards events. Yep. And there's a lot of people still very, very positive. Mm. There are people frightened. Mm. Um, I got an email from my colleagues in China yep. uh, and they said, they actually emailed everybody around the Century 21 system globally. Mm. Uh, I could see all the names copied in, asking for advice, any advice that that anybody could give them, mm. given that people can't leave their homes, the agents can't go anywhere, mm. they can't show property, etc. I mean, if internet, if the internet was going to be the dominant way to buy real estate and the only way to buy yeah. real estate, you'd think it would have happened now, right? Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. it hasn't. Let's just, uh, I wasn't going to ask this question. Sorry, I went, no, no, for, I no, went no, from no, uh, Sydney it? across to China. No, it's important because I, I will come back to that, you know. Um, but you know your franchisees, mm. If, for example, they weren't able to do their normal sales stuff yeah. for two months, what would happen to their profitability oh, for the it'd year? It would impact on everybody. It mm. would impact very heavily. Would they survive, um, but it would be just like a 
very bad year for it them. Would be a, it would be a bad year. And, and if you look at even tenancies, rentals, uh, the offices across the country, real estate agents with large rental portfolios, yeah. how are they managing those right now? Yeah. Uh, you know, because they're in and out of property and in contact with people a lot more than the sales agents would be. Mm. Uh, so that could be impacted even more so. People needing to move or can't move or have to move and mm. where do they go? Mm. All right, so that's one obvious mm. um, problem, knock-on problem. Yeah, and I have heard that you know, the government could actually um, stop within two weeks major events, mm. uh, which I hope is wrong. It was a, a, a suggestion from someone who's a, an insider, but that right. doesn't mean it's right. There could be a suggestion by certain groups within the government. Let's go back to the, the Sydney auctions, and you were saying the enthusiasm was still, still there. But of course, we haven't had a serious economic implication of the coronavirus here no, yet. No. Short Chinese tourists aren't coming here, but the average Australian wouldn't be feeling the impact if you're running a tourism business on the yeah. Gold Coast or something like that. You would be. But historically, you know, so this week we've seen the stock market another leg down. Yeah. Recession talk will be around. You remember previous times when stock markets have collapsed, like in the GFC. What does that do to numbers showing up to auctions? Yeah, people start to see real estate as a safe bet again. Oh. And you know, and, and pe people talk about uh, the, the stock market, whether it might perform better than the real estate market. But in reality, if you're across all of the shares, every one of the shares, and you understand it, maybe that's correct. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that people are starting to gravitate back to real estate again. Yeah. We've even got a lot of like overseas buyers. Like the self-flight to quality that we used to say in the yeah. old days. Yeah, uh, we, we've got a lot of overseas buyers. Yeah in Australia right now, stuck, maybe potentially stuck here in Australia, yeah. that want to buy real estate here because they're too frightened to leave this country mm. and go somewhere else. Yeah. So that's interesting. Uh, New <coughs> Zealand is another area. I'm off uh, to NZ uh, week after this. Is there a franchise in New Zealand? Yes, yeah. yes. And uh, so uh, the people are saying, oh, why are you flying there? You know, the people are saying to me, mm. you, are you still getting on planes? I said, mm. yeah, I am. You know, what's the problem? But yeah. there are a lot of people that that are concerned. Yeah. However, I still think... Of course, they think you're a 40-year-old because you, know, you look yeah, like a 40-year-old. Yeah, year I know. They're not very worried the about virus. my... Uh, I'm in the age bracket well <laughs> and truly. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, I think the Sydney market or even Melbourne market, all of them are still very enthusiastic. Uh, but I do think people still want to buy real estate. Only thing will stop them hmm. is if they're stopped from going out yeah. uh, or if the banks still keep, keep the tough stance yeah. that the banks still have. Yeah. If you can take your mind back to the GFC, and I'm sure you did, because that was a, yes. a, a, a very scary time, and there was really negative headlines around real estate. And I actually do remember actually buying my place in the mountains that you know. Right. Um, and and there, how prices fell short term. Like yeah. the, the reaction to the collapse of Lehman Brothers, everyone just overnight. thought that's right. It was overnight. And then, yeah. and, but the rebound out of it was actually quite quick mm. Uh, mm. Uh, out of that. I figure even if people are showing up to buy, they're not interested in paying over the reserve type prices. Is that logical? Yeah, that's logical, of yeah. course. But there is still there are still plenty of buyers out there yeah. that will bid. Yeah. So there is You're still a public servant with a safe job and all of a sudden the place that was eight hundred thousand becomes seven hundred Oh, they're going to buy. You're a buyer. They're going to buy. Yeah. I mean, and you know the stock market better than I do. Mm. Uh, and, and look at the stock prices. I mean, mm. you, you're probably already buying. This is a good time for those that know what they're doing. Yeah. Because uh, 
we have to get a handle on what's going on out there. Yeah. And if and when they do, it's going to be an instant. Again, it's going to change like that. I've it? been reading, and I, once again, you, you'll know the story, that investors haven't come back um, really strongly into the market since they were basically chased off by APRA. What are you seeing in that case? Yeah, investors uh, really got slammed during that period of time and we needed those people, we yeah. needed investors out there. And then, it could, because what happens is that there's a trail of, of events that occur when you push the investors out. Uh, all of a sudden the government bodies have to come in to provide housing. Mm. And traditionally in the past they haven't done a great job at that. No. And so that's going to cost the taxpayer. They really do need to make sure that they keep investors happy. Talk of negative gearing. Uh, being removed, all of those things. Mm. Uh, they damage the flow, the process. Uh, and so I think that APRA, well, they have changed. Mm. They have re, you know, reduced uh, the restrictions to yeah. some degree. Yeah. But uh, they're still finding it harder to get loans than the Very hard. I, mean, I, I struggle to get loans from people, like banks I've done business with for 20 or 30 years. Mm. You know, you've got to go through that process now with responsible lending. No matter who you are, yeah. you've got to go through that process. Uh, and you'd have lots of wealthy clients, and, and some of them, they may have even quite had clients call me, so what's, why do I have to tell people I have a Netflix account? You know, yeah. things like that. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it is just beyond a joke in some respects. Mm. Uh, you and I spoke about it a long time ago, and I, I thought that uh, I wrote an article that said, is responsible lending irresponsible? Yeah. Because it is damaging a lot of people that potentially can buy that are stuck renting. Yeah. It seems to me that responsible lending is really relevant for young people who might be overextending. Mm. I think that's absolutely spot on. But when you've got older people who might be asset rich yeah. and cash poor Can't and all they want thing. to do is leverage off their, their assets. And if, and if need be, if something goes wrong and they have to sell an asset to satisfy the bank, yeah. it shouldn't be a big deal. It should be like, you know this going in. It's like buying fruit. Yeah. If it's no good, you know it's a gamble going in. Yeah, definitely, mm. definitely. I, I actually am a bit annoyed about with the whole process because for, for me, I've always taken risks and mm. they're stopping me from, from yeah. being a risk taker. That's my business if I want to take the risk yeah. at my age, not yeah. their business. Yeah. I don't like to be told how I should or shouldn't invest. Mm. And I think it removed, and it has removed, a, a, a chunk of, of entrepreneurial people mm. that want to do something, you yeah. know. Okay, if you want to introduce responsible lending, if you said, uh, introduce it to the people who are the most susceptible to uh, problems because they may not understand. Yeah. But if somebody's been around 10 years or 20 years and they've purchased and sold three or four or five times, if they want to take the risk, take the risk. Right. Well, what business is it of, of government to tell yeah. me what I should or shouldn't yeah. do? The, the big am, I, am I getting carried away? No, no that's all right. Like, we, we both uh, are. We're, we're saying like right. grumpy old yeah, men. Just, just but we're not sure. old, but it's just grumpy middle-aged <laughs> men. But, but the bottom line, I think, is since the Hain Royal Commission's also the banks are afraid yeah, to Play, play loose with mm. that, that kind of assessment of a borrower. Well, they used to do it in the past. And I think sometimes they would do it for some people who had lots of assets on the basis that, well, if worst comes to worst, they can sell a house and, yeah. and cover their debt. But when you do it with that sort of that middle area where if you actually had to make someone who lived in a home sell their property, Mm. That would be very bad publicity. I, I think it'd be very bad publicity, but I do think it's a good time for banks now to cleanse, mm. if that makes sense, without them being jumped on yeah. uh, because they're being too tough. Well, we need them to because yeah. it's part of the, uh, the growth process yep. of the economy. Yes, and I, so I think that's happening. And I, I, you know, I'm all for the banks. Right. I'm all for strong banking. Yeah. I just get a bit annoyed sometimes yeah. when I can't borrow money. I also <laughs> think that we'll see happening over, over time, over time, that there, there there will be a financial institution which will be like to save all the old bars. Yeah. You know, it will be like... There's a, a couple coming through yeah, already, yeah. Peter. 
They'd have to. Yeah. Charles, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Charles Tarby, the founder of Century 21. Well, when I want to know what's going on at the coalface, I want to talk to people like Tom Panos. Now, I always say he's from realestate.com.au, but he's from thousands of other places as well. Tom, thanks for joining us on the program. Love to be here. Um, now, you, you, you're auctioning on Saturday? Yeah. What, yep. what did you see? Uh, two properties didn't sell. Everything else sold. I think it was uh, eight out of ten. Hmm. Um, the week before was 10 out of 10, the week before was 9 out of 10. Everything is selling. The only thing that occasionally doesn't sell is a unit in a newly built complex that may have something wrong with it. The one on Saturday, you could tell the strata manager hasn't been looking after the block. We talked about it when I was here about a month ago. There is a bit of a stigma with some of these newer developments mm -hmm. with what happened with um, um, out in Rhodes, I think, uh, mm -hmm. there. But houses, Peter, market's hot. When I'm saying hot, mm -hmm. it's crazy hot. Mm -hmm. Like, I think last year, what happened is after the federal election, pretty much it kept going up and up and up. And I think by November, it actually caught the losses it had between 18 and 17. But now, I think it's exceeded it. I mm. think we are now going to a new level of pricing mm. where we're now higher than what we were in the peak. Was there any evidence that buyers were worried about the coronavirus? No. The, there's only been two instances I've been impacted and they haven't been buyers. A vendor decided to take a property off the market that I had booked in my auction system and the agent said to me, he thinks that it's better to actually go on when all this nonsense, whether it's nonsense or not, that's another, yeah. uh, whether this, you know, not, he used the word nonsense, dies down mm. and he doesn't want to participate in the market during this period. But even if he did, Peter, the buyers are lining up. We're mm. talking about 10, 11 registrations on nice properties yeah. and uh, they're selling for, you know, five to 10% over. Tom, it seems to me that normal people are a bit weird. When prices were falling, I went to auctions. My, my son was buying a place in Melbourne. Uh, three auctions, no bids. Yeah. So he eventually, he eventually got a great place. Yeah. Um, probably two to three hundred thousand below what he was looking at when he first started looking. Now that prices are rising. Yeah and it's all, all madness, they all want to buy. Why do people have this, uh, is it, it, it short-termism that they don't see that the opportunity is always to buy when the market's down and then wait for the market to come back? I can't answer that question because I actually know some highly intelligent people that I think have got IQs that are in the top 1%. Mm. They know the product, they know real estate, yet they behave in the same way. Mm -hmm. When prices are going up, they feel like they've got to go in, and when prices are coming down and there's no one at an auction, I mean, I had one, he's a very intelligent person, and I remember last year in February when the market was down, mm. he was the only one at an auction and he said, but what's the point, there's no one else here? And I said, well, that's a good thing. Yeah. You don't want to have a lot of people competing against you. You're only competing against the vendor's reserve. Yeah. And he says, oh, no, he goes, if it was good, there'd be others here. And all I can put it down to is this psychological law of social proof. If, if others are doing it, 
I must be missing out, mm. right? Mm. But commercially, why would you want to compete against 11 other bidders when you had a chance to be bidding against no one a year before that? I mm. don't know that. Tom, um, are you looking at um, price developments in the states that were struggling, namely, I'm hearing Brisbane starting to improve. Yeah. I'm hearing Perth starting to improve. Are you seeing the same things? Well, you brought up two areas. Perth, I was there on Thursday, booked to do a conference, how to get more listings. Why? The brief is very clear. They're now getting short of stock. It's beginning to rise. Okay. Tomorrow, Brisbane for the Courier Mail, they've called all their clients in. What's the biggest, in fact, it's on an email just before I walked in here. Yeah. I said, what are the top three things to cover? They said, just cover one, get more listings. Yeah. We're short of stock, the buyers are out. Yeah. So they're two cities that you've are mentioned. Are they forward indicators that you use to work out the future health of a market? 100%, it's a clear KPI. Like tennis first serves, yeah. we clearly know in real estate, if they're saying they're whinging about stock, it means that property prices are going up if they haven't already started going up. Okay. Um, if Brisbane gets the, the Olympic Games, yeah, good for the city? It is good for the city because number one, it just gets a buzz. Hmm. So a lot of people just buy because of the buzz, right? The second reason is that we know that infrastructure and works need to be done means that humans are needed. Humans need to actually either buy a house or rent a house. Yep. So we see that. We see that. We see it in mining towns, right? Whenever there's something's going on in a mining yeah, town, true. You, see, you look at Gladstone, it goes off. Everyone's there. Mm. When they move out. Even Gamazar became like a, a hardest place in the world to get a, an apartment to 100%. rent. 100%. I'll never forget Gunnada. that. Gunnada. <laughs> Gunnada. So that's, so that's what happens. And I can tell you, you're better off buying in Brisbane than Gunnada. <laughs> All right. So, um, so Sydney and Melbourne, I've seen forecasts that it could go 20% this year. Do you think that's possible? It seems big to me. Well, I'm going to say to you that since Australia Day, where I've been working, pretty much after the Australian Open Tennis Final, that's when real estate in Sydney and Melbourne kicks in. I can pretty much tell you it's gone up 5 to 7%. So we're on that run rate. Yeah. Now, whether that thing can continue... Um, and you know, I'm I'm also uh, I'm I'm open-minded to to this this thing about coronavirus. Will it actually slow the growth a little bit? It appears not to have mattered mm. in real estate. In fact, I said to you off camera, Perth agents are saying they're getting a lot of overseas inquiries saying, "Hey, Australia's a great place to live in. Australia's got a better health system. Yeah. Australia seems to behave a lot better in a crisis. You know, let's put mm. our money in Perth Prestige Real Estate." Yeah. Uh, well, um, I, I suspect the government will throw a lot of money at trying to keep this economy going and, yeah. and to take unemployment or um, we'll stop unemployment from rising and that'll be good for the uh, real estate market. Well, last week's interest rate uh, rise, uh, in cut. decrease, cut, um, Peter, without a doubt, had already had an impact on Saturday because I spoke to agents and they said they had another surge of, there's another KPI, buyer inspections right yeah. buyer inspections equals you know potential contract holders yep. at an auction and that's up so uh yeah we'll monitor it closely all right thanks for joining us thanks a lot pete that's tom panos from realestate.com.au where else are you from tom? and news corp and from tom panos the real estate gym so i'm an ambassador for uh, rea and uh, news corp i do a lot of work for news corp so but real estate it's all real estate peter yeah for sure tom panos thank you
Well, the latest numbers are telling us that first home buyers are really on the rise. In terms of the last decade or so, they're really good numbers. But a lot of young people do think about buying off the plan. And one person I know who's not a great fan of buying off the plan is someone who I call the princess of property, but she's really the queen, but I love the alliteration. The princess of property, Margaret Lomas from Destiny. Thanks for coming on the program, Margaret. Thank you for having me. Now, you always correct me on what you really are. So tell me the name of your business and the website so people can get all your excellent information. It's Destiny Financial Solutions, and the website is just simply destiny.com.au. Okay. I knew there was... I used to throw financial in there, which you didn't want me to do. Now, let's get down to the most important thing. Um, why are you um, generally opposed to buying off the plan? Okay, so like you, Peter, I have seen it work out well for people. And usually the more sophisticated an investor, the more research they can do and the better it can turn out. But for the average investor, there's eight good reasons why I like them to be very, very careful. So let's just start from the top with the first reason. The first reason is that when you're buying off the plan, there's, you have an inability to be sure that what's being promised to you is going to be delivered at the other end of that project. Let me give you a good example of how this has gone horribly wrong for a client who came to me after the fact. This client signed to buy an off-the-plan property and went ahead, had a nice uh, set of pictures of what it was going to look like, artist impressions and all of that sort of thing. Now, the developer is allowed to make a change of up to 10% without having to ask you or notify you or even let you know that it's going to be happening. In this case, that 10% included removing a window from the bedroom. So the second bedroom in this property ended up being built with no window. And of course, you can imagine that made resale very, very difficult. So an inability for the investor to be able to look ahead and really know that what is being promised to them is going to be delivered. Now, there's also a little bit of an inability to visualize that final product. I know you get all of these lovely artist impressions, but I don't know if you've ever seen a finished product and compared it to that artist impressions, and it's very often not quite the same. So one of the things yeah. that you can't tell unless you're highly experienced with construction is just what does a three by three bedroom really look like in size when it's finished? And you might be horribly surprised to find that when these things are finished, they're much smaller than you'd imagined, and therefore they can be a little bit more difficult to rent and a little bit more difficult to sell as well. So they're the, the two main ones around, you know, what are you getting? Are you going to get what is, has been promised to you and how can you be sure? Now, there's more. So shall I go on? Yes, I love you going on. Okay. Now, the next one is that there's an inability for you to really determine whether what you're paying today is at market value. Now, in the olden days, which I often like to talk about many, many years ago, when off the plan first became a thing, the reason it was a thing was because what developers would do in order to get the funding from the bank to enable them to go ahead, they had to have some pre-sales. Normally, the banks like them to have 20 to 25% pre-sold so that they knew that they were going to move at the end. So what the developers would do is they'd sell the first 20% of properties to people who are willing to sign a long-term contract and they'd give them a discount. So you'd get a really good bargain 
for showing faith in that developer and signing yourself up ahead of time and handing over your 10% deposit. Now, these days, what actually happens is many developers try to ascertain ahead of time what they think the finished value is going to be in three years' time. So you're not getting today's price and then making money over time. You're essentially paying tomorrow's price. Now, what happens if the promised 3 or 5% a year doesn't occur in that construction period? And when you go to settle, it's worth less than you paid for, then you've made a bad investment. And I guess that's one of the things that worries me the most about off the plan. We saw it happen in Docklands where we saw a lot of people who uh, purchased in that first wave of development in Docklands many years ago, 15 years ago, they purchased off the plan and when they settled they were worth 100000 less and a lot of older people had invested in those properties from their super fund monies and these were retirees who just couldn't afford to lose that kind of money so it was pretty disastrous. Okay, so moving on to the next one. You also don't have that capacity to really determine future demand for rentals. Now, it might be okay for the developer to say to you, well, you know, there's X amount of demand in the market. But between now and the two to three years that it's going to take to build that property, there could be lots more apartments built and the result is an oversupply. Now, that doesn't just affect your capacity to get a tenant and charge the rent that you thought you could charge. So, you know, best case scenario is you get less rent than you thought and less yield. But if you do need to sell it sometime during that time, because you have a vacant apartment, less people are going to want to buy that from you. When less people buy it from you, then there's less demand. When there's less demand, then the prices topple again. So, you know, not knowing whether or not you really will be able to get a tenant because you don't have that property there in front of you is another another big trap. I guess um, the, the biggest, one of the biggest things for me is that when you're buying off the plan, it can really limit your capacity to add to your portfolio during the time that you're waiting for that property to settle. So let me give you an example. You go along and you apply to the bank for $300,000 to $400,000 buying off the plan and they say, yes, you can, you can have that. But then sometime in the next six months, you want to get more money to buy something else you've seen. You might see an established property. The bank often will not want to lend you money until they see what the outcome is going to be of this one that's coming up. You know that in four years' time or three years' time when it settles, you'll have plenty of capacity to buy more property, but you could be prevented from buying more property now. So there could be an opportunity cost that comes if you're buying off the plan. And I guess the last one, and we've seen this happen in practice, is that while you have to, you have an obligation when you sign up to buy a property, you have an obligation to proceed. If you don't proceed with that purchase, you will lose your 10% deposit that you paid down. If you're buying a three to $400,000 property, it's thirty dollars or $40,000. But more importantly than that, if you have a confirmed contract to buy a property, the developer can sue you to proceed. And if he's lucky in court and the judge agrees with him, he can actually get the entire purchase price out of you or the difference between what he can sell that property to someone else for and you, and he's likely to let it go fairly cheaply if you're not going to proceed on it. But you don't have that same option to pull out of a contract as a developer gets. So the developer has 
a clause written into the contract that pretty much allows them to get out of that contract fairly easily. So if you do happen to buy a property that goes up in value and the market booms while you're waiting for it to settle and it's about to settle and it's worth considerably more than you're going to pay for it, very often there's a clause in that contract that allows the developer to get out and sell it to someone else for more. And we saw this happen in Sydney. Margaret, I know there was a friend of mine who was in a, a difficult situation where uh, she was married and her and her husband put a deposit down um, and then by the time it came to settle, um, I think they actually did settle um, and they'd moved in, um, but then they, they decided they wanted to separate and they wanted to sell the property. But about four or five of the properties had not been sold um, and therefore the developer wouldn't allow them to sell before the other five were sold. Is that a, a condition that's in some contracts? It's definitely a condition that's in some contracts. In fact, there's often many conditions that people don't get to because the contracts are fairly comprehensive and long. And even if yeah. they read a condition like that, it's one that probably wouldn't sink in at the time. No. You know, they're married no. at the time and they would have thought, well, that's a clause that doesn't relate to us. That isn't going to be something we even need to think about. And so many of the clauses that you think won't affect you may affect you if you've had a change in circumstances. You know, there's another trap that's been coming up as well in more recent times in Melbourne and in Brisbane where we've had an oversupply of property that has been or become worth less than you're paying before you settle. And that's been where the bank has gone in and revalued them again. They may have promised to lend you that 500000 or that 400000 but when the time comes for the property to settle, they will go in and value it again. And if it values any lower, they're only going to give you 70 or 80% of the lower valuation, not what you're paying for it. And this is all very well for those more, uh, I guess, uh, sophisticated investors who may have access to cash to, to plug up that shortfall. But if you're using equity from your own home for the deposit, for example, or you have a finite amount of money for the deposit, and you're suddenly asked to come up with another 30, 40, 50,000 to settle on the deal, you may not have the capacity to do so. And yet the developer has that capacity to force you to proceed Best case scenario, keep that deposit. Worst case scenario, sue you for any difference between what they can now sell the property for. Okay, so I think you've covered a lot of the things that people have to be aware of. And it, and it kind of tells me that if the property you're buying, A, is not gonna be a distinctive property, and B, there's, there's no guarantee that there'll be a lot of tenants who want to live in that property, maybe they will, maybe they won't. Um, and if, uh, as a consequence of that, this might be a, a difficult property down the track to sell, then you, know, you have to be really careful, as well as the, be concerned about the, the actual contract itself. But on the flip side, if you came across a proposition where the building, say, was destined to be a very unique looking building. There was a, a queue a mile long to be tenants in that building and the developer had a history of having uh, buildings where rents are really high because they're quite unique uh, properties. 
um, where you, you, you are an investor where you want to hold the thing for five years and, it's, and, it, and the numbers show you that it's going to be cash flow positive, particularly if it's irrelevant to your tax rate. Are they circumstances where maybe off the plan might work? I'm worried that you're talking about yourself, Peter, and that you might want to buy something and you're trying to look for justification. But look, you do have a point. There's a big difference between buying a two to three bedroom cookie cutter apartment in a block of, you know, 700 apartments in, in the CBD of Melbourne or Brisbane and buying one in, say, a pack of four or six that is designed specifically so that each apartment is a little bit different from each other. Mm. It's situated in a well-established area that won't have an oversupply of apartments in the future, where we can confirm a very strong rental demand and a good yield on that property. And also the fact that the area itself has a lot of things going for it and a lot of those fundamentals that I always talk about, which will mean that that particular area will grow into the future as well. There's a difference between those two things. But I think that difference also comes down to the fact that the typical person who's going to be investing in those off-the-plan properties that are unique in boutique buildings in you know, areas that are really sought after and, and in demand, I think the price of those properties would usually mean the person buying them is a more sophisticated yeah. investor, yeah. is a person who can bear the risk of loss if it occurs, going in with their eyes open and research done, and they know it's a calculated risk and it's not going to ruin their livelihoods or give them a family breakup if it all goes horribly wrong. Unfortunately, the majority of investors who invest in off the plan are the former, the ones who are yeah. buying the cookie cutter apartments in the big blocks, and they're sold them by a financial planner who's making a, a good 40000 on the side for selling it. And I haven't even gone into the commissions that financial planners can achieve by selling properties to their clients. That financial planner is trusted by the investor as being the authority and he would know if he's suggesting it, it has to be a good investment. And very often it's a financial planner who knows very little about property or where to buy or what to buy. He's doing it for the commissions. Then unfortunately, that's the typical person that we see getting into these off the plan apartments. And they're the ones that we see losing their own homes, um, you know, breaking up from their spouses over the stress or having their retirement savings frittered away at a time and they might need to be drawing down on them. Great insights and great advice from Margaret Lomas from destiny.com.au. Thank you.